Welcome to Real Life at the Ridge, the preaching ministry of Chestnut Ridge Church. A second ago, I was talking with the Lord, and I just—he, I just told him, I said, "God, you don't need me, but you want me, and He doesn't need you, but He wants you. It's a huge thing that you are important, not just to other people, and that's it. That's that's big." But you're important to him. And he has you in this very day for a reason. We hadn't seen yet just how important it is. But we're going to. We're going to see just how important it is to be living in the day that we're living in. You can, you can take the, the, the view that has been built by media, by rumors, by social media. You can take all of these things and build all these images in your mind and you can have worry and fear and dread. But I want to challenge us to, to, to actually go, you know what, God? This is exciting. I cannot imagine what it was like in any particular war that's ever been fought on the face of this planet to charge into battle. You know, my grandfather bailed out of an airplane over Germany in the middle of the night for freedom. For his family, for you, and countless Hundreds of thousands of more did the same thing. What compels somebody to do that? And if we, if a lost person would do that, do you realize that we, we are almost, to me and my mind, if I could equate it to something, we're on the boat ride over to Germany, folks. The gates are fixing to fall on the boats. And we're fixing to go take the beachhead. If you believe that we're close to the end, and I, I have to, regardless of where we're at, we're closer than we were. 
But we have, we have lived our lives kind of at a norm. And now the norm's gone. I mean, it, it's gone. I'm going to say that one more time. It's gone. You know? The leadership in this country is overall, and I'm not saying all, there are good people out there in leadership. And don't you forget that either. There are congressmen and senators, governors. There are people at local levels all around that are fighting their tail off for right. But there, there is an opposing group And they don't like the fact that you and I believe this book. And this whole world system does not like the fact that we, we like this book and believe it. I don't know about you, but that sometimes gets me down. Because, but the only reason it gets me down is because my flesh wants that old, comfortable way back. But then the warrior rises up inside of me and says, you know what? And I'm telling you, when I say the warrior rises up inside of me, the spirit of the living God rises up inside of me and says, bring it on, bring it on. I'm here for a purpose and I'm here for a reason. I'm not here so that my life might be the way I want it to be. I'm here so that my life might be what you want it to be, God. And you do remember he sent Christ to the cross. His own son he sent to the cross. Right up in the midst of the greatest battle that's ever been waged on this earth, he sent his son. And you and I are here for a reason. We're here for a purpose. And we're here for this very day that we're living in right now. It was no accident that you were born when you were born. I want you to turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. And I want to talk to you a little bit about a topic that I started Wednesday night. It's just simply this, for such a time as this, for such a time as this. In Colossians chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 24 through 29. I want to share four simple things with you. Really, I want to set the stage with two things so that I can preach to you the last two. But in Colossians chapter 1, and might I say this, it's good to see a lot of you. It really is. Y'all are. Please incite to my heart. And I know God is pleased too. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 24 through 29, it says, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, 
which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end I also labor, striving according to His working, which works in me mightily. Father, as we take Your Word this morning, would You please, God, compel us, compel us to do what You've called us to do in Christ's name. Amen. In this first chapter of Colossians, Paul is sharing a not just a pastoral heart, but almost a the heart of an overseer of God's people as a whole. Paul is thinking about folks that he's never met before in his life. But yet he knows them very well because he knows the story that has taken place in his own life. While on the road to Damascus, uh, God came down and visited with him and radically changed him from Saul of Tarsus to the Apostle Paul. You've had something happen in your life when you feel like you got to have a name change. Can I get a witness? I can't, I can't even, this one here, I just can't even go with that anymore. Everything has changed so much so that I need to be renamed. He hears of these people, these Christians, and he tells them earlier on in the chapter, he says, from what I've heard about you and your love for the Lord and your love for all the saints, he said, I cannot wait to see you. And his love begins to grow. And as I shared Wednesday night, I'll share it again this morning, that resonates with me because now with the online thing like it is, I have come to have contact with people that I've never met before in person. And yet they comment and they'll message and different things like that. And, and, and my pastoral heart is like, I have begun to love them and pray for them, but I've never met them before, but I can't wait to meet them. And if I don't meet them this side, I'll meet them on the other side. But that ought to be the, the, the sentiment for all of us. That you're not just here for your family. That you're not just here for you, but you're here. You are the family of God. But yet the people that are meeting across town, they're the family of God too. And people that are meeting across the ocean, they're a part of the family of God too. And when the family hurts, we ought to all hurt. When the family rejoices, just as we did a minute ago, we ought to all rejoice. And Paul is sharing these things, but yet he's got a mission. And he starts laying into that mission. And I think the groundwork of this mission is centered in who God is. Without him, we can do nothing. And he's working, just as y'all sung just a moment ago. When I don't see it, God, you're working. When I don't feel it, God, you're working. But here's what I want you to understand about God. He's not God because creation glorifies Him. He is not God because creation glorifies Him. There are people on this earth that need other people to make them who they are. 
God does not need that. Let me read a couple verses for you. Look at verses 24 and 25 out of Colossians chapter 1. He says, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you. Fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the affliction of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship. Listen, from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Everything that Paul has in this ministry, everything that Paul has in the mission before him has been given to him from God, from God alone. He didn't get a little bit from over here, a little bit from over there, this college and that college. Paul's an educated man. He didn't get it. He got it from God. As a matter of fact, God took Paul's education and helped him realize just how insignificant he really was. Paul, one of the most educated, one of the most uh, thoroughbreds, if you want to call it that way, was from the right family. He was from the right uh, group of Israelites, tribe. He was from, everything was lined up in his life to be a complete success. And then God stops him in his tracks and tells him, you're nothing without me. And Paul begins to praise him. But see, he was God before Paul ever praised him. And I just want you to know right off the bat that just because we show up at church and just because we give and just because we worship Him, that does not make Him God. Psalm 86.10 says, For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. John 17.3 says, And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. 1 Timothy 1.17 says, Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be glory and honor forever and ever. Amen. To Him alone. Him by Himself. He does not need us but he wants us to praise him. You see, I'll give you a good down-to-earth illustration. There's a lot of things in our life today that we see on a constant basis. Joe Biden needs us. He needs us so that he can pay his payroll. He needs us so that he can subsidize whatever direction he wants to go. Donald Trump, like it or not, he needed us to some degree. You say, he's a billionaire or whatever. He doesn't need us. I beg to differ. To hold that office, you don't have an America without Americans. Right? I hope you all understand that. You know, our, our government does not own a factory that produces a product that makes money. I think it's a good, le- I got a few good lessons for all of our young folks today and some of our adults today. Our country does not produce money. We fund our country through taxes, right? That's right, and taxes and taxes and taxes. Thank you, Cleveland County, if you're watching. God bless y'all for reappraising our houses. This is a wonderful thing. Wonderful thing. The roads will be smoother now. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Back on track. (laughs) But do you understand? 
I didn't put this in my notes, but I, verse 22 says, if the body of his flesh, uh, in the body of his flesh through death, to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. I, I, some folks know this, but I've got, I'm trying to catalog Bibles for my kids. This is number three. Now they done started having kids, so I guess I got to start working on some grandbaby Bibles or something. But I wrote this. I just pulled out holiness and I'm mean, holy and blameless above reproach. Then I put in all caps in his sight. And I just wrote, that's all that matters, honey. Honey, that's all that matters. That you are right in his sight. Don't forget, he did that for you. You see, I need God. He doesn't need me. But he chooses because he wants me. And he wants you. But he doesn't want you to be a bench warmer in the game. As I said over the course of this week, I'll never forget the moment that I heard a preacher say, it was last year in March, in Atlanta, Georgia, at the Ritz-Carlton. What am I doing at the Ritz-Carlton? It's because they gave a tremendous discount for a conference. We stayed for two nights at the Ritz-Carlton for half of what it cost for one night. Down there and got poured into one of the preachers that stood up to share with us. He said, if this is the last inning of the game, I mean, if we're fixing to go out, think about the fact that God's the one that picked you for this day and this time. Now, I don't know about you, but I've seen the kickball rosters before. I've seen how all that works at school, right? Y'all, come on. You know you've been there. I want, yeah, I want Timmy. No, no, don't, don't pick that one. Um, and your buddies are going... No, do not pick, don't, don't pick this one. But then God, listen, not only are you on the team, that we're, that all of us are on the batting roster. Every single one of us have been commissioned with the gospel. Every one of us. Bases loaded, last inning, if this is true, we go around saying it, right? Do we not? How many, let me just, how many of y'all believe that we living in the last days? Can I get a little, well, it looks like an overwhelming majority. Of course, that don't mean nothing. Does, no, I'm just picking. Um, it looks like the vote leans toward we're in the last days. At least that's what we feel. And that God's got you up to bat and me up to bat. You know what that says to me? That God doesn't need me because I'm not the greatest batter. But God wants me. And that my sufficiency is not found in me. It's found in Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 1, let me read two verses for you here, 11 and 12. 
strengthened with all might according to His glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has, listen, qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. That He qualified us. By His power, He qualified us. That you and I have a purpose and a mission, but we have power. We have a standing. We we wear the uniform of Christ. And it's not because we made the cut. It has nothing to do with the fact that we have abilities and, and all these things. And because of that, God weeded through and said, oh, yes, I'll pick this one and I'll pick that one and I'll pick. No, as a matter of fact, the Bible says that he is, his power is perfected in our weakness. Such a time as this, you were created for this time. Do you know that God works and His works manifest His glory? I know that the the glory that is manifested on this earth does not make Him God. Well, let's just put it this way. Nobody was around to give Him glory when He said it all was good. In the beginning, in Genesis... And God created, and said it was good. God created, and it's good. And God created, and it's good, right? But he declared that. Before there was a rock, he had already created, and it was good. But his works on this earth do manifest his glory. You and I and every human being that's ever been born on the face of this planet reflect the glory of God in the fact that we were created in His image, the Imago Dei. That's why life is important. That's why all life is important. And that's that's why we should not be playing God, trying to choose that this child... Uh, you know, d- doesn't deserve to live because the quality of life won't be uh, of, of value. That's for God to work out. He's the one that made them. He's the one that knit them together. He's the one that designed them and called for them to be. And whatever they, let me just say this, even if they don't ever come to faith in Christ, they still belong to Him. He's still their God. If they grow up with some type of uh, disability or something like that, then that's on God. That's not on you, nor on me. That's God's business. If they live 18 years or they live 80 years, that's between them and their God. And let me just remind you, I don't know why I feel so led to, to share this. Well, I know why I feel so led to share this, because we need a reminder. That's what this country was founded off of, was the fact that all men were created equal in the eyes of God. That we all have certain rights. The right to breathe air. The right to make choices. And as it's being stripped away, you and I are the ones that are up to bat to fight for these things. We have a responsibility before Almighty God to tell the truth. God works and His works manifest His glory. Colossians 1.24 once again. 
said, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. He, Paul is doing his job of reflecting the glory of God. In Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of the Lord and the firmament shows his handiwork. Luke 19.40 says, but he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. That God's creation glorifies Him. And we glorify Him in multiple ways. We glorify Him, like I said, in just the fact that we've been created and we exist. That glorifies God. The trees, they don't have a voice. They don't have a mind but yet they bring glory to God because God created them. And as they stand there, it speaks of His handiwork. But you and I are special. I lay that down just to try to get you to understand two things. One of those things is that God is intentional about His work. God's intentional about His work. I want want you to... Breeze with me. If you got your Bibles, follow with me in Colossians chapter 1. I want you to see certain verses. Look at verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers. Do you see that? Who's doing the work there? Who, who is the central subject that is doing the work there? Come on, church. God is. He qualified us. Look at verse 13. He has what? Delivered us. Who did the delivering? God did. From the power of darkness and, and then you take the sentence and break it down. Not only has He delivered us, but He also has what? Conveyed us or or transported us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. Then we look at verse 16. For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, invisible, I mean visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through Him and for Him. It's Him doing the work. Can I get a witness? How about verse 19? For it pleased the Father that in Him all the fullness should dwell. Verse 19, 20 and 21 and 22, listen to them. And by Him, to reconcile all things to Himself by Him, whether things on the earth or things in heaven, or having made peace through the blood of His cross, and you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now He has reconciled. That's why we get this saying that we say, You don't save yourself. God does it. And if God saves you, just as Tim led you to do, I believe by the Spirit of the living God, that you and I ought to be loud and proud about the fact. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, Paul says, for it is the power of God unto salvation. You can't do anything to me that God can't fix. You can't bring anything upon me. You can't throw me a curveball. You can't drop a ball in front of me that I can't hit if my God intends for me to knock it out the park. 
because he's my God. And I'm the one that he has put on the base, on home plate to hit the ball out, and you are too. And your inadequacies do not give you an excuse not to praise him. He actually chose you because of who you are. He actually chose you for his work. And I say because he chose you because he wanted to choose you, but he chose you just like you are. He, he is the one that qualifies the called. You don't qualify yourself and then come to him. Jeremiah 1.5 says, before I formed you, don't you listen to these words. The reason I picked these verses was just because of the intricate, intentional work of God. Before I formed you. In other words, God is planning this. Right? And God did not just throw you together. God did not just, you know, just, just say, well, okay, well, we need a couple more humans. Need, need, a, need a thousand this week, need, need 20,000 the next, next, and we just keep working this thing. That's not how God did this. Young people, please hear me. Please hear me. Please hear what I'm trying to tell you when I tell you this. Every young person in the room, please look my way. Just for just one moment. Quit doodling on the pads. Whatever you're doing, I get all that, but I want you to listen to me. God made you. He made you who you are. And I don't care if your skin color is white, black, brown, blue, or green. God designed you. And don't you dare be ashamed of who you are. You had no choice in that. God made you who you are. What your responsibility is, is that you be who God wants you to be. Because it is only in His eyes that you have to be justified. Just before Him. Before I formed you in, you in the womb, He said, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. In other words, God says, I, before you were born, I set you apart for a particular work. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. He's talking to Jeremiah, but he does the same thing in our own lives. People will tell you, well, you, you just need an anointing for your work. I was anointed the day that I got saved. The Bible says so. That you, each and every one of us, were anointed for what we were to do for Him. Psalm 139, 13 through 16 says, For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and I am wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works. And that my soul knows very well. He says, My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book, they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. I believe our God is an intricate, intentional planner. That he's not missed one single thing. I'm just trying to lay the groundwork so that you understand that you were created for such a time as this. You have a purpose today. 
and you have a purpose. If you live, you have a purpose tomorrow and the next day. And this is what my greatest, at least the thing that I wanted to get across the most, is that God's chief work in creation is you. That you're God's greatest work in creation. His chief work. No other being on the face of this planet, I'm going to hurt some people's feelings, but let's just, let's just stick with the book. I like what John MacArthur says. When you come up with these ideas of your own, and I do that, you cannot justify them unless they're in this book. We can come up with all the things we want to come up with. God gave me this vision. Is it in here? Because see, what happens is there's no limit to that. If, if you can just come up, conjure up things that God said, you say God gave you, and they don't line up with this book, then we've just opened Pandora's box. That's why we're hold, we hold so fast to this. Somebody told me one time, he said, you're narrow-minded. I said, exactly, I sure am. That narrow right there. One leather cover to the other. That's how narrow I am. If you got a study Bible, it's about inch and three quarters to two inches thick. You got a slim line, it's about a three-quarter inch thick. That's about how narrow I am. Kenneth Ridings used to say that he believed the maps were inspired. <laughs> God's chief work in creation. That's you. Listen, listen to a couple verses right quick. Psalm 8. I want you to listen to this, this whole psalm. Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength because of your enemies, that you may silence the enemies and the avenger. When I consider your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, and all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. No other created thing on the face of this planet has what you and I have. In the beginning, God created man from the very dust of the ground. And the Bible says that he breathed into him the breath of life. That you and I have a soul. You and I have a connection with God that no other part of creation has. That you and I are the only ones that Scripture declares that our relationship that was broken shall be mended through the death of his son. Did you hear what I'm trying to tell you? You say, well, I believe this and I believe that. You believe it outside of the jurisdiction of the book, though. And you're, you have every right to believe it. 
that God, God isn't going to give you the right to, 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 do, to believe what you want to believe. But at the end of the day, this is what you'll answer to. I want you to hear my heart when I say this to you. We won't be judged by what we think or what we, I'm, I'm saying by, by what we believe standards are. We'll be judged by Him, His Word, because this is what He's given us to know Him. And you and I, listen, we're God's chief work. We are His number one, numero uno plan. That in us, the redemption that is brought through Jesus Christ and the gospel that is to be shared to the world, no matter what's going on, is on our shoulders. Don't feel like the load is too heavy, like I remind you. He has called you for this, and you and I are not responsible for the power of the gospel. You and I are responsible for the proclamation of the gospel. You hear me? We're just to share the gospel. We're to tell the truth. And, and let, me, let me throw this one out at you because I think this is very important. Here's a great illustration. How many of y'all see on, uh, on TV, well, not on TV, on, on social media. That's about TV anymore, isn't it? How many of y'all see on social media and you hear people all the time talking about, well, if everybody else would just follow Chick-fil-A, we could get through a drive-thru. Can I get a witness? Why don't they just do what Chick-fil-A does? There's a reason. I don't know any other restaurant chain that in its inception set out to bring glory to God. You say it's so easy. All they got to do is do the little thing in the drive-thru like Chick-fil-A does. That's because, number one, did you know that Chick-fil-A pays more than the rest of them? Do you know that Chick-fil-A has a screening process that they go through? They just won't hire any just warm body that walks off the street. Right? Why? Because they want service to be paramount. You're getting served. That's why a chicken sandwich at Chick-fil-A costs what it does. Which is really and truly is kind of getting to the point now where the rest of them's catching up with them pretty, pretty fast. My point is, I just went to a drive-thru, and I, a matter of fact, I told Dale on the phone yesterday. I almost made a declare. I'm very particular about declarative statements, and I almost made one that I would have had to lived with. I almost said, I'm never going back through there. And I just I said, no, let me take that back. Unless the, le unless the leadership in that place changes, I'm not going back. I, I have sit in that line too long, too many times. I have gotten the stuff I didn't order, and I've gotten stuff I did order times two, and, and, and all this other stuff, and I'm not doing it no more. What's my point? My point is that you and I, I want you to hear me good when I say this, you and I, we're set apart for a work by a holy and a righteous God that does not need us, right? But He wants us. He also has His creation to worship Him. He expects us, the chief of His creation, to worship Him far beyond anything else. We have the ability to go beyond the worship that a tree or a rock would give. Can I get a witness? Listen, He saved us. If you're saved today, He redeemed you from a devil's hell. He pulled you out of the ditch 
set you on a solid rock, gave you a mind to think now, and you know right from wrong, and now you can make choices. Don't follow your heart. Your heart will lead you in a ditch. He said to renew yourself by your mind. What do you do? You get in his word, and his mind, this mind, when you renew it, it changes your heart. It confronts your heart. So everything that we do every single day, we ought to do as if we're doing it unto the Lord. In other words, I'm afraid. I'm just going to go ahead and say, I'm afraid that there's too many Burger King churches and not enough Chick-fil-A churches. Does that make sense? There's too many Burger King Christians and not enough Chick-fil-A Christians. If you own the franchise of Burger King and Kings Mountain, would you please put some new management in there? <laughs> I'm sorry. That was, I probably shouldn't have said that. But <sighs> but you know, I got, I got to thinking, I've been to a lot of franchises that the franchise itself, I mean, or the, the, the corporate deal itself is not out to glorify God. But the franchise owner was. And man, there was a difference when I walked in there. And it's the same way. If somebody, if your UPS driver loves Jesus, it is such a pleasant thing for that UPS driver to pull up in your yard or pull up at your business. What do people think when you go out? What do people think when you go out into this world are, are you giving glory to God because you realize that you were created for such a time as this? You know, Paul, all he wanted to do was bring glory to God, was it not? That's all he wanted to do. And, and let me, let me I'll, I'll finish it with this. Listen to these two, two verses. Let me just show you how important you are to God, and then I'll finish you with a, with a challenge. Matthew 6, 30 says, Now if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Matthew 10, 29-30 says, Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin, and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your Father's will? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. You're more important to God than animals and trees and all this other stuff. Green deals. You're more important to God. And God has you for this very day. And I think the only thing that stands in our way is first off, knowledge. To know these things. You shall know the truth and the truth will what, church? Set you free. And then to do them. And to do them, you need to be right with God because if you find yourself in a place to where you say, I really haven't given credit for all the things that God has invested in me. I really have been wasting my opportunity. Then that means you need to repent. You don't need a therapy class. And I want you to hear me good. You don't need counseling for, 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 for this particular part of it. 
You don't need a crayons and a coloring book or a therapy dog. That's a problem in our society is responsibility. That's why people are begging, begging them to give more and more money to forgive student loans. I got news for you and everybody watching online, you hear this good because I want to be one of those voices that helps clear up the muddy waters. God said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. If you signed the dotted line, you did that. You say, I made a mistake. No, you made a choice. You made a clear choice. Them pale grants, riding around, getting some extra tires and rims on your car, riding around through college, you made that choice. Spent it on your girlfriend, went off somewhere, and you ain't got no accountability to it. You made that choice. $50,000 worth of student loan debt to get a job, make $10 an hour. You should have investigated more. That is not anybody else's fault but yours. And let me just share this with you. Reason I, this is why I share this with you. God does not fight those battles. God is not out to fight to free you from student loan debt that you signed for or anything else you signed for. God is out to fight the battle of truth. Now, anything that stands on truth, you better believe he's there. And then, here, let me, let, me, let me say this. Let me rephrase this so I can make sure. If you got into a mess before you got saved, or you made a, a legitimate goof up as a Christian, will God fight for you if you will turn to Him and repent? Yes, He will. But don't be mad if people hold you accountable for the choices that you made. As a matter of fact, I've come to find this out. I don't know if I heard this story one time, and I'm not saying he's Christian or not. Y'all, how many of y'all remember John Denver? Did y'all know that John Denver had to file bankruptcy? I don't know if, how many people know that. Do you know that on record he paid every dime back? Do you get what I'm saying? I've made bad choices before. I made the choice, and, and, and I, I just, let me, how do I say this? I've made the choice to not plan like I should have before, and I've paid the price. But at the end of the day, I couldn't throw it on nobody else because it was my choice. And what I'm trying to tell you today is if you go out here and sin and do other things, you did that. God didn't do that. And you got to be accountable for it. So what are you going to do today knowing that God's got you in the last inning and He has created you for such a time as this and He has empowered you and now you know and now the, the, you know, it's, it's, it's all there. The, there's the bat. There's the gear. What are you going to do with it? Thank you for listening today. Pastor Greg wants to share with you how the gospel changed his life and how it can change yours too. You know, Tim, it was the gospel that saved me. I'll never forget when Ray Elder came into my life, uh, God put him there and he shared the truth of the gospel with me, that I was a sinner, that Christ died for my sins, and that if I would accept him as the Lord of my life and follow him, that he would change my life. And that's exactly what he's done. I wonder if that's something that you would like to do today, that you would today before God just admit, you know, God, I'm a sinner, I'm lost, and I need you. 
And God, I believe that Christ died on the cross for me, and I want to accept his payment today for, for my sins, and I want to live for him from this point forward. If you prayed that prayer today, we want to welcome you into the family of God. We also want to encourage you to contact us. You'll find a link below where you can reach us, and so we look forward to hearing from you. so much that he gave his son for us. Amen. God bless you guys.